Well, welcome uh, again, friends. Uh, my name's Steve, I'm one of the pastors here, and um, uh, this term we are looking at the book of Leviticus, and um, uh, if uh, this is your first time with us, or uh, you might have missed last week or the week before, we've kind of did some introduction to Leviticus, um, hopefully you're able to, uh, to understand where, we, um, where we're heading tonight. Um, in the outline, the handout that you got as you came through, you notice there's a, a few spots there where you can take notes if you'd like to. Um, you can write down questions. We'll have a question time at the end, like we normally do at Uni Church. And, um, and also, there's a, a QR code if you uh, want to let us know the details. I'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, at the end, just before question time. Um, but as we come to Leviticus, um, uh, you might have been confused by all of those um, uh, offerings and sacrifices and things uh, that we were reading about. Um, I'm going to pray that God would help us to understand what the heck is going on in Leviticus. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us here tonight. Um, thank you for each person. Uh, thank you that you do know each one of us. And uh, we ask tonight that you, um, by your spirit, would help us to know you better as we read your word. Uh, may we see your glory as you reveal yourself to us tonight through the scriptures. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who knows what this is? A screwdriver. Oh, mate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're sharp. Yeah. But what sort of screwdriver is it? A Phillips head, yeah. Bit more detail. Is it magnetic? It looks like a magnetic. Yeah, electrician screwdriver, a sparky screwdriver. And what is special about this? Well, let me tell you, this screwdriver is electrically insulated. Okay, this one, you can read, it is rated to a thousand volts. And so it's used for working on live electrical equipment. Can you show us? Can I? <laughs> uh, I don't think we filled out the, the risk assessment for that, so, um, yeah, so, unfortunately I can't. Um, but yeah, the plastic wrapped around the shaft here and the handle, uh, it stops you getting electrocuted if you are stupid enough to go and stick it into a live power socket. Um, electricity is dangerous, isn't it? And in order to use electricity, in order to get near it, you must have insulation or your toast. So too the Israelites. They need insulation to live with God or they will be toast. God is holy and people are not holy and they need an insulator. And this insulation is the sacrificial system made up of the sacrifices that we, we looked at, particularly last week, uh, but also the priests. And uh, we're going to be focusing on the priests more this week in chapters 8 to 10. And so these chapters 8 to 10, it's all about the priests who are essential for God to live among them. Uh, and so this is what the book of Leviticus is all about. If you've ever struggled to try and think, what on earth is Leviticus all about? It is about living with God. It's how we live with God and we need the sacrificial system, we need the sacrifices, we need the priests. And so, uh, 
as we get into chapter 8 tonight, chapter 8 is all about a ceremony, a week-long induction process to get the priests clean and ready to serve. And then as we go into chapters 9 and 10, uh, their first day on the job is described for us. And what a day that will turn out to be. Now, as chapter 8 begins, it'd be great to have your Bibles open. Um, I'm going to just kind of go through chapter 8 quite quickly and we'll read a few of the verses at the end of the chapter. Um, but chapter 8 begins with, with Moses. Uh, Moses is the leader of God's people. He gathers the whole community of Israel together. And, uh, and we're here at the first day of seven of the ordination ceremony of the priests. And so he gets Aaron, who's going to be the priest, the high priest, um, he gets Aaron up the front, as well as his sons, at the tabernacle. Now, here's a picture of the tabernacle that I've been showing you the last couple of weeks. And so, you know, here's a, a, a bull that's not going to last much longer um, <laughs> because the priests are going to sacrifice it on these slaughter tables here. Here's the, the altar, the burnt offering altar, um, where they, um, they put the animal on, they smear blood all over it. And then right up here is, uh, is the actual tabernacle itself, which has two rooms. Um, the holy place and the most holy place. Um, but this is, this is where we're, we're placed. Three and a half thousand years ago in the, the wilderness, in the desert of Sinai. And Aaron and his sons are brought into this area, out the front of the tabernacle. And, uh, and so Moses washes them with water in verse 6. Um, Aaron, the high priest, is dressed in special clothes. Um, here's the, uh, what he'd, you know, kind of maybe look like. Um, all these special bits and pieces. Uh, if you want to follow it up more, it's, it's spelled out heaps in a few chapters earlier in Exodus chapter 28. And so anyway, he's, he's robed in all of this special gear. And then Aaron and his sons are anointed with oil in verse 10. And so as they're anointed with oil, it's a sign of commissioning them for service to God. Uh, all the stuff inside the tabernacle is also anointed with oil. Uh, now this word anoint, you might have heard that before. Uh, what does it mean? Um, it is a bit of a strange sounding word. Uh, it's the Hebrew word um, that is translated as Messiah. And so in the Bible, kings and prophets and priests were anointed with oil. They were messiahed. And, and it shows that they are specially set apart for God's work. For the oil is the, the this anointing oil, this Messiah oil that says they, these guys are going to be set apart as God's special instruments to do his work. And priests were appointed to be the mediators, uh, kind of the, the insulators between God and man. Uh, as we keep going through chapter 8, um, there's animals that are sacrificed, the bull first, uh, to purify the altar because of the sins of Aaron and his sons, verses 14 to 17. Uh, there's a ram as well presented for a burnt offering. That's a pleasing aroma to God. Uh, a second ram is offered in verse 22, the ram of ordination. And um, <clears throat> the blood of this one, I don't know if you... you did we read verse 22? Maybe we didn't get there. Um, uh, the blood from this one is put on the priests. And uh, some is put on the right here. I've got to think which is right and left. Um, I did radiography and uh, you need to know your right and left. Uh, so you kind of x-ray the right bit of the body and um, the doctor knows. But uh, 
it's confusing when you're a radiographer because everything gets flipped. And so what's on your right is on your left. And so I had enough trouble before doing radiography. But anyway, um, blood goes on the right earlobe. Blood goes on the right thumb. And blood goes on the right big toe. Now, it's a bit of a strange ritual, isn't it? What does it mean? Well, this blood goes on the ear to listen to God's holy commands. It goes on the thumb to do holy tasks and on the toes to walk in holy ways. Oh, those are emojis of... All lefts. Well, are they really? Or are they just mirrored? That's the question for radiographers, okay? Um, uh, so, this, this is what the blood is to, is to symbolise, okay? Uh, that, uh, so, when you would go and offer your sacrifice at the temple, you would see the priest... Um, have these bloody stains on their ear, on their thumb, on their toes. And uh, you would understand that the whole priest, his whole life, is dedicated to serving God. Now, uh, come down with me to verse 33. We're going to pick it up there. And Moses commands Aaron and his sons then to stay in the tabernacle for the week. So Moses says to um, Aaron and his sons, don't go outside the entrance to the tent of meeting for seven days. Until the time your ordination of ordination are completed, because it will take seven days to ordain you. The Lord commanded what has been done today in order to make atonement for you. You must remain at the entrance of the tent of meeting day and night for seven days, and keep the Lord's charge so that you will not die, for this is what I was commanded. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord had commanded through Moses. Now, all of this procedure in, in chapter 8 is to get the priests ready to do their priestly job. Now, they, it's pretty clear that they had to stay inside for a whole week. Maybe some people who have had to do some self-isolation know what that might have been like. Um, but they had to stay inside for the whole week, and if they didn't, they were going to die. Um, now, some of you have probably been in operating theatres or vet clinics before, um, and you know the extraordinary lengths that you have to go to to keep the surgery site sterile. Uh, when I used to work in theatres taking x-rays, um, I did have to check, making sure that the doctor was operating on the right, side, the right or left side. Um, but even before you get into the theatres, you have to strip off all of your old clothes and put on theatre scrubs. You put on a hairnet, you put on shoe socks, and if you're going to work in the sterile field where the body's opened up, uh, it's a huge ordeal to get ready. There's all this proper washing technique, all of this scrubbing with the right colour soap, cleaning under the nails, you know, scrubbing brushes, nail picks, all sorts of things. Um, you've got to keep your, your fingers above your elbows so you don't, you know, drip contaminated water on your hands. Um, those of you who know, how long do you have to wash your hands for before you can be sterile and gown up? Five minutes and then two minutes sterile. Five minutes is what it what you've got to start with, okay? Now that's a long time of washing. Um, and then you've got to go and try and get a gown on without contaminating yourself and get the gloves on as well. Um, all these sterile techniques for opening packets of utensils and swabs and everything, and it's really, really important that nothing gets contaminated. 
But if you but if if it does, well, you've got to chuck it out. You've got to start again. And uh, if you don't, you'll run the risk of giving the patient an infection. There's just so much procedure, so much caution. You can't rush it. There's no shortcuts. But it is really worth it because people die from bad hygiene. And unholy people die when they come in contact with the holy God. This week-long procedure for the priests to be made holy was essential. So they themselves don't die as they enter the presence of God in the tabernacle. They need to do this procedure. They need to be holy so that the job that they have been given works. That the offerings that they offer on behalf of the people are accepted by God so that the sins of the nation are forgiven. So after seven days of preparing for service, getting ceremonially clean, the priests are ready to go. And chapter 9 is their first day on the job. Let's go and have a look at what their first day is like. Chapter 9, verse 1. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron, his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, Take a young bull for a sin offering, a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish. Present them before the Lord and tell the Israelites, Take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf for a lamb, male yearlings without blemish for a burnt offering, an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil. So lots more sacrifices are happening on this eighth day. But something special is going to happen on this day. Have a look at the end of verse 4, chapter 9, end of verse 4. For today, the Lord is going to appear to you. Now this is going to be an epic day, isn't it? Uh, the excitement and, and expectation would have been next level. Even more than some of you here fangirling or fanboying in meeting Taylor Swift in the flesh. It is, yeah. <laughs> At least one person. Okay. Um, uh, this is the day that they have all been waiting for. This is God himself coming. This is a world first and you really don't want to stuff this visit up. So come with me to verse 22 in chapter 9. See what happens. Uh, so they went through all the procedure. Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. He came down after sacrificing the sin offering, the burnt offering, the fellowship offering. Moses and Aaron then entered the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions of the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell face down. Now what an incredible first day on the job. The Lord appears. You've done the job right. The Lord appears, you know, it, it seems like he God's kind of turned on his flamethrower and has incinerated all of these sacrifices and the people drop to the ground in awe. What a sight to see. Now when it says the Lord appeared, what did they actually see? Verse 23 tells us they had seen the glory of God. But what is that? What did they see if they saw the glory of God? Well, I can tell you it wasn't God himself because if you saw God, you would die. Uh, the Bible says that in a number of places. Uh, and so if they just saw God's glory, 
What did they actually see? Well, verse 24 says, they saw fire. Fire that burnt up the sacrifices. Is that what God's glory is? It's God's glory fire. It's not really a word used much anymore. I did hear it on the radio the other day. Um, I think it might have been about someone's, uh, like a new uh, record that they put out that the music was glorious. Um, but I think the main way we might think of glory today would be if someone wins like a gold medal at the Olympics. That is glory. But is that what God's glory is? That he's the champion, that he is victorious, that he gets all of the, the accolades, the praise, the, the honour because of that? Well, the word translated from the Hebrew into glory has the meaning weighty or heaviness. We might say significant or worthy or important or splendid. Uh, so glory generally represents kapod with the root idea of heaviness and so of weight or worthiness. So that's kind of a definition of glory. What, what does that mean? I, I think we would say like significant or worthy or important. Uh, in some places in the Bible, like here in Leviticus, God's glory, his importance, his splendor is manifested in brightness, in fire. Uh, in Exodus chapter 24, uh, on the top of Mount Sinai, uh, we see this kind of thing happening again. The appearance of the glory of the Lord um, came to Moses and it was like a devouring fire. As the nation of Israel wandered through the desert in, in the book after Leviticus in Numbers, um, as they wandered through the desert, God's glory was seen in the cloud by day and the fire by night. At the birth of Jesus, an angel appeared to some shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. When Jesus was up on a mountain with Peter and John, uh, he was transformed before their eyes. And so in Mark 9, we read that Jesus' clothes became dazzling, extremely white as no launderer on earth could whiten them. John writes in Revelation 21 that in the new creation that there is no need for the sun or the moon to provide light because God's glory illuminates the new creation and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations walk in this light. And so as we do that survey of, of, the, of the Bible about God's glory, it seems to include some form of bright light. But this only appears when God himself is so in this sense, God's glory is his visible presence. God's glory is his visible presence. It's, and it, it's seen in a bright light or fire, something like that. Um, but I don't think that really helps us understand what God's glory is. Just that sometimes his glory is seen by some people as brightness. So what is God's glory? Well, I think at the heart of God's glory is his character. It is who he is. That's what makes him worthy and significant and important and splendid and weighty. So in Exodus chapter 33 and 34, where God speaks to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, God's glory passes by Moses um, 
Uh, so in Exodus 33, I think we've got this, yeah. Uh, verse 18 says, um, And Moses said to God, Please let me see your glory. <coughs> and God said to him, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here's a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I'll put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll take my hand away. You'll see my back, but my face will not be seen. And so here Moses sees God's glory. And what is God's glory here? Well, it is, it is God himself. God proclaims his name, his, his good name, his character. And that's how he reveals his glory to Moses. Now we see this idea elsewhere in, in the Bible too. So in John chapter 1, in Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus himself is described as the glory of God. In his character and in what his character leads him to do and so Jesus' glory is seen in the miracles that he does his glory is observed in his obedient death on the cross because there we see the character of God his glory is seen in his resurrection to life and his ascension to heaven so here's what I think God's glory is it is his magnificent character and importance that is worthy of all praise and honour by me. <laughs> um, I think that's how we can understand God's glory. Okay? It's his magnificent character and importance that is worthy of all praise and honour. And this glory, well, God's character and his importance is revealed most clearly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the glory of God. And so as we bring all this back into Leviticus here, that is what is happening as this fire shoots out and, and people see the glory of the Lord. It's a pretty big, heavy concept. Uh, and so... Here in Leviticus, as the fire shoots out from the tabernacle, consumes the sacrifices, sacrifices, the glory of the Lord appears to the nation. And their response is the right response to glory. They shout, they fall face down in worship. They bow before the magnificent character and importance of God, as people should do in the presence of glorious people. When you're confronted with the glory of God, worship is the right response. But on that day, on their first day on the job, it wasn't just the animal sacrifices that were consumed by God's glory. Have a look at the start of Leviticus chapter 10 with me. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his own fire pan, put fire in it, placed incense on it nice smelling stuff and they presented unauthorised fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them to do 
Then fire came out from the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. First day on the job didn't end so well for Nadab and Abihu, did it? I wonder what you think about this, though. Doesn't it seem a bit harsh to you? After all this ceremony, all of the the seven-day ISO that they had to go through, just one little slip-up and whoosh, they're gone. They get consumed just like the animal sacrifices. And all we get, or the only explanation we get here in um, in, in these verses here is that they presented God with unauthorised fire. An offering that had not been sanctioned. Now just, can you imagine the shock on everyone's faces? Um, how their dad, Aaron, would have been feeling. Moses' answer to them seems a little bit callous in verse 3, doesn't it? This happened because God is holy. Have a look in verse 3. Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has spoken. I will demonstrate my holiness to those who are near me, and I will reveal my glory before all the people. And Aaron remained silent. So Moses' explanation here, as he was explaining what, um, what God says about this, was that they were killed by God's holiness and glory. These priests approached God with, with a non-rated screwdriver and God's holiness consumed them. His glory was revealed. And I think what's happening here is uh, it's kind of the same way that a bodyguard would take out anyone who approached the Queen or the President of the United States without authorization. They just get taken right out before they get close and do some damage. But it does seem pretty heavy-handed, doesn't it? Surely God could have given them a second chance. Isn't he supposed to be full of grace? I think we're shocked by God being extra in his reaction because we don't properly appreciate God's holiness and his glory. To Moses and to God, these actions were completely just. God's holiness was under threat which meant his very presence among his people was under threat. And especially so on the first day of the priests and this whole sacrificial system. And so this this little event here is instructive. It teaches us that God is not someone to be messed around with. You just can't approach him willy-nilly on your own terms. And don't come to God with your own good ideas, your best intentions, your own feeble works of religion in order to please him. No matter how good an idea it is, to draw near to God only works out if you do it his way. If you come to him with any old screwdriver, you're going to get an almighty shot. And friends, today God is still holy. We still can't approach him except on the exact terms that he lays out. He tells us that we still need a priest. We still need a priest to offer a sacrifice on our behalf to atone for our sin. And the good news of Jesus is that that is him. In him, in Jesus, God provides this priest 
And he provides this sacrifice. Jesus is the insulation between us and God. And in Jesus being both fully God and fully human, Jesus is the perfect priest. The perfect mediator. Um, if we jump to the next slide there, um, here's kind of where we've, what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. Um, the story of God living with his people from creation all the way through to the new creation. Leviticus here is um, step three, and that's where Moses is offering um, the sacrifices, God is living among them, his glory is dwelling there in the tent. Um, but here is Jesus, and he is the great high priest. He is the priest, he is the sacrifice. And so as we kind of think about priests, um, Jesus being the priest, I want you to come with me to Hebrews chapter 8. Um, so open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8 with me. Uh, so it's towards the end uh, of the New Testament there. And, yeah, it's around about there if you try, I guess. Um, Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, so much of Leviticus is explained in Hebrews. Um, and so much so, we're going to spend the second semester here at Uni Church in Hebrews. Um, and so Leviticus is a great way to prepare for that. So um, have a look with me uh, at the first verse in Hebrews chapter 8. It says there, now the main point of what is being said is this. I love little summary statements like that. It's like, I don't know what you're saying, but thanks for laying it out nice and straight. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary of the temple and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. So here's the old sanctuary of back one in point three, um, the old temple. You want to jump back there for us? Oh, Just one slide before. Oh. There we Sorry, are. Okay, here's the tabernacle. old tabernacle um, there. What is being spoken of in, uh, in Hebrews here is the true tabernacle, the one in the heavens where God himself lives. And here is the priest that has come from that heavenly place um, to be our priest. And so we have the perfect person to represent us to God. And uh, he is there right now in heaven, serving in the true tabernacle. Uh, and so come uh, a couple of chapters later with me, chapter 10 in Hebrews. Uh, chapter 10, verse 19 in Hebrews goes on to say, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, into the, the temple of God through the blood of Jesus, um, Nadab and Abihu weren't able to do that, were they? When they got near God doing the wrong thing, they were gone. But we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. And with Jesus as our priest, we have 24-7 access to God. We can come before him in prayer. We can walk right into the most holy place without fear of judgment. 
without fear of being burnt to a crisp for doing something wrong. Because Jesus is both the perfect sacrifice and the perfect high priest, and he is fully pleasing to his Father. And this means that we don't need any other priest to come into his presence. The whole priest system is done away with because we have Jesus. No more priests. We don't need the tabernacle anymore. We don't need the temple. We don't need more sacrifices. We don't even need to go to church to enter into the presence of God. We should go to church for other reasons. I'm glad you're here tonight. But um, we have Jesus. We have access to God in him, through him. Now, this goes even further. Not only is Jesus um, our great high priest, who is God, who has now come to live among his people, what, what has happened is as Jesus ascended into heaven, he sends his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit then turns all those who trust in Jesus into priests. Not only is Jesus our great high priest, but if you trust in Jesus, you are a priest as well. You don't even have to wear robes. Uh, Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 16. Um, Here we see Paul is a priest of God's good news. It says, a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. God's purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul is a priest. He is going and proclaiming the good news of God to the nations. Uh, The Apostle Peter likewise says in his first letter, he says, You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Down in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. But today, Christians are God's priests who proclaim God's glory into the world. And so on this slide, we have moved from step three in Leviticus to Jesus here, who then sends his spirit into us, and we are all now priests as we declare the praises of God into the world. So we're all little priests if Jesus is our Lord. And we don't just have a dab of blood on our right ear, our right thumb, our right toe, but we are fully washed clean in the blood of Jesus. He washes us through and through. He cleanses us from all of our sin, all of our guilt and shame. And we are anointed not with oil, but with his Holy Spirit. And like the priests in the time of Leviticus, God calls us to be totally dedicated to serving him. Uh, Not to make atonement for our own sin, not to pay for our sin, but fully dedicated to him as we live our lives serving him, listening to the word of God and obeying him, living lives of action in the service of God, walking in his new way of life where we turn from sin and pursue righteousness. One of the dangers we face this side of the cross of Jesus 
um, as we don't have to head off to the temple with our pets and kill them. Um, it's a really good thing, isn't it? The danger, though, is that we can so easily domesticate God. We can treat him like a household pet, like an easygoing mate who just, oh, he'll just always put up with my crap and I don't really need to change or say sorry. It's very easy for us to forget the holiness of God, to forget his glory, if we don't keep on doing the sacrifices in the Old Testament that they did. And so that's where it's important for us to be daily offering ourselves to God in service to him. To remind ourselves that God is holy, God is glorious. And to thank him for our Lord Jesus, who makes us right with him. That God is still a holy God. And though he won't punish us with a lightning bolt from heaven or a flamethrower or anything like that, because Jesus has been punished in our place. But he does still take our sin seriously. So he calls us to a daily lifestyle of faith and repentance. Now, shortly after the priests in Leviticus were on the job, God once again turn, uh, turn, uh, speaks to Moses and he tells Moses what it is that the priests are to say to the people once they have done all the sacrifices. This is what they're to say. So in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses. He says, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. You should say to them, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favour on you and give you peace. In this way, they will pronounce my name over the Israelites, his glorious name over the Israelites, and I will bless them. And so as the Israelites have come and they've done the sacrifices that God said they need to do, this is what the priests are to say to them. They are to bless them. And friends, this blessing is ours through Jesus, our perfect high priest. His name. His name that declares his glory is pronounced over you. Jesus says this about you once you've been washed in his blood and trusted in his sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sin. So let me say to you now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the glory of God, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favour on you and give you peace, which he does through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we are going to have question time in just a moment. Um, just before then, if you'd like to grab your communication card, you can QR code that and uh, it'd be great to know that you've joined us tonight. If you're new, um, uh, well, we've got some details. We can say hi to you if we aren't able to catch up with you. Is there any things you want us to pray for during the week? Anyways, that we can care for you, that's a great way to do that. And uh, as you're doing that, maybe you have some questions that uh, you'd like to ask me on these chapters in Leviticus.
no questions tonight. So I'll give you another moment, maybe still busy gathering thoughts or filling things in. Yeah, Ben, yeah. About Taylor Swift? No? There are a number of times where, where that does happen. Um, uh, like the earth opens up and swallows a whole bunch of them. I can't remember where that is in numbers. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm thinking as well in the book of the Acts with Ananias and Sapphira as they, as, um, uh, like that's really early on in, in the church. And I'm wondering whether there might be some parallels between uh, the the priests kind of being set up in, in Leviticus and the Ananias and Sapphira episode where, um, uh, and so as the church is only just beginning, the people are saying, uh, we're going to sell our property and give our money to, to the poor and to help um, those in need. Ananias and Sapphira say, yeah, we've sold our property and here's what we got, but they left a whole lot of cash in their back pocket and... Uh, and they end up dying because they are lying to um, people and deceiving God. Um, maybe there's a connection there. Um, uh, yeah, do you have any other? Number 16 is the ground opening up, John. Number 16? Yeah. Yeah, where are we at there, mate? Verse 31. Number 16, or, 31. Like uh, 28? Oh, maybe. Uh, numbers 16 27 28 uh, 31 the ground 31. this is chorus rebellion. oh yeah yeah so uh, Moses said in verse 28 this is how you will know that the Lord sent me to do all these things and that it was not of my own will if these men die naturally as all the people would and suffer the fate of all then the Lord has not sent me but if the Lord brings about something unprecedented and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them along with all that belongs to them so that they will go down alive into Sheol then you will know that the Lord that these men have despised the Lord just as he finished speaking all these words the ground beneath them split open the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households all Korah's people and all their possessions they went down alive into Sheol with all that belonged to them the earth closed over them and they vanished from the assembly and their cries all the people of Israel who were around them fled because they thought the earth may swallow us too. Fire also came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were presenting the incense. So there we are, some earthquakes and fires um, happening there. But I think the context of it all is uh, these sons of Korah were, were priests as well. And, uh, and so they sinned and um, brought judgment upon them. Um, the good news for us, though, is that in, in Jesus Christ, we know that God won't do this um, 
to us because Jesus has taken the punishment for us. These things are written for us as an example um, for what not to do as a warning uh, that we might look on Jesus and be thankful for what God has provided for us. Thanks, Ben. Matt? So with the um, blood on the earlobe, um, hand and, and feet, mm-hmm. um, what was the significance of having it on the right side as opposed to the left? Yeah, um, one on the right and not on the left. Uh, I'm not totally sure, but I think uh, it's to maybe because the, the norm is the right-handed like the right side of people, like to be left-handed, like in those days, was an abnormal kind of thing. Um, so I think the priests weren't able to be left-handed um, uh, as a um, as a sign of purity, um, of wholeness. And we'll come back to that more next week as we look at um, chapters eleven to fifteen. Um, but yeah, I think that's. You said that um, we don't have to come to church to encounter God, but that maybe we should come to church for other reasons. Mm. Um, I guess what role does meeting with God have in church now? Like, mm. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, we don't have to come to church in order to, like, uh, and I was saying that in that we don't come in order to offer sacrifices to God to say, God, I'm going to come and give you you know, an hour or two on a Sunday night so that you will then be pleased with me and you'll make my life a bit better. Um, maybe I'll come and you can forgive my sins because, see, I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing what I think I should do. Um, that's not how anyone has ever been saved or will be saved. Uh, we're saved by putting a trust in Jesus. There are lots of really good reasons for coming to church. And uh, as we've been doing tonight, we, as we read the Bible together, um, as we hear God speak to us, um, His Spirit is working to, to help us to understand what He is saying to us. Uh, there's a lot of mutual encouragement that happens too. And so, uh, in the book of Hebrews, um, it's a great book to, uh, uh, to see how to apply Leviticus. And so, in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, uh, it goes on to say, because of Jesus and his blood uh, enabling us to have access to God. Um, It's just after the passage we read um, earlier tonight. Uh, It goes on to say, verse 24, let's be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. So we need to be with people to do that. Uh, Not staying away from our meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so one of the purposes of church is so that we can encourage one another, um, to encourage one another through the week in the, uh, to do uh, good works, to love our neighbours. And, um, and so that's yeah, one really great reason to come, to gather with God's people, to be an encouragement, to be encouraged. So I have one more question, friends, if anyone's got one. Yes? I just wondered in that verse you just read where it said, because the day is near. I just wondered what that means, because the day is near. Yeah, yeah, so it says, yeah, keep meeting together because um, the day is drawing near. It's talking about the return of Jesus. 
um, that there's an urgency to God's people gathering and encouraging each other because we want to um, uh, stay the course, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus um, right up until he returns. And we don't know when that is, and so uh, we need to keep coming and encouraging one another to do that. Well, friends, uh, let me pray, and um, as I pray, our musicians will come up, and we'll sing the final song together. So please um, do bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we thank you that you have provided the exact priest and the exact sacrifice that we need in our Lord Jesus Christ. We know our sin deserves punishment. And so we ask tonight that you might forgive us through Jesus. Please help us to live lives that are holy, lives that are pleasing to you. Help us to live our lives totally immersed in the blood of Jesus, where we listen to your word, where we love you deeply from our hearts, and so put it into action for your glory. Help us to keep gathering with your people, to encourage one another to be encouraged ourselves. May your name be praised from our lips for all the days that you give us. Amen. <laughs>